Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on this September the 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2021. A couple of weeks ago, I believe, I had read to you a song adopted by a parochial school class as their law and gospel song. I've had some requests as to what were the words, and I will be sending emails out to those who requested that, but I thought I would just read the song again. This is their law and gospel song. I do not do the good I should. I do not do the good I would. I do not do it, oh, no, ma'am, for I a sinner that I am. I do not do the good I should. I do not do the good I would. I do not do it, oh, no, ma'am, yet saint forgiven that I am. What I really like about that song is it has both the teachings of the law with the first verse ending, for a sinner that I am, and it has the gospel, yet saint forgiven that I am. So that's the little law and gospel song used by this parochial school uh, teacher and her class. And as indicated, I will send an email to those who requested it with it in there. All right, next email. Dear Pastor Baker, thanks to God for your program, Law and Gospel. I live in Sweden and download your program because we are seven hours before in time. And I listen to them on my MP3 player at work and walking. I have learned a lot from your program. Some days ago, I heard a program about prayers and I have some questions. Are there rules for how to pray? Some say you ought to be on your knees while praying. In church, you can sit in your pews, but you ought to bend down your head. The more the better. Some say it is very disrespectfully, almost blasphemously, to lay down on your bed on your back and pray. After hearing your teaching about us as adopted children of God, a wonderful analogy, I have been thinking about this. I believe that we as children of God can talk to our Father wherever we are, in the bed, at work, in every situation. Am I right or wrong? It might be good to have special rules, but do we have to? And are there distinctive lines between thinking, talking, and praying to our Father? Very often I think about something, talk to God about it, pray about it at almost the same time, 
while doing daily duties or trying to sleep. Maybe they are not to be regarded as prayers. I hope you understand how I'm thinking about this topic. I have an English as my mother tongue, and it's a little difficult to explain. So, best regards, and in the name of the woman from Sweden. Well, I want to congratulate her for understanding that we are adopted children of God. When our children, if you've had children, ask for something, do you tell them, no, I'm not going to listen to you until you bow down on one knee when you ask me? Or if you're putting them to bed and they ask you something while they're lying in bed, are you going to say, oh, that's terrible to lay on your back and ask me something? Of course not. Children ask their parents in all kinds of situations. In fact, a lot of times they're unaware of asking their parents. For example, an infant. An infant has a problem late at night in bed. Maybe they need their diaper changed or they're hungry and they begin to cry. Well, can you imagine the mother or father in another room hearing the cry and the father says, well, since they don't know how to speak English, we're going to wait until our child learns English so he or she can explain to us why they are crying. No, the cry alone is sufficient for the mother or father to rush into the bedroom where the child is to find out what can I do for you? So prayer is simply conversation with God. It happens a lot, even when we're unaware of it. We may be driving down the street, and these days driving to Illinois to minister to four congregations who don't have pastors yet, we're often on a two-way street. And sometimes it's late at night, and you see those bright headlights heading towards you, and you're pretty sure they're in the right lane, but until you get near them, you're still not sure. And fortunately, we haven't had any head-on crashes. But when they go by, don't we kind of thank God that we were able to be kept safe during that time? So yes, prayer is not simply asking God for something. It's also thanking him for the many blessings that he has given to us. And it doesn't matter in what condition you are. So thanks so very much for that insight about the importance of knowing we are adopted. Good day, Pastor. I'm sure you have your hands full concerning the recent developments concerning the ELCA stand on the issue concerning the ordination of gay, lesbian, same-sex 
ordination. Yes, l- let me just stop this for a moment. The ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, has a tolerance now for not only homosexual activity, but marriage between two male pastors or two female pastors, as though that's according to God's will. The letter goes on. One of my questions to you as a first-time caller was exactly concerning this issue. I shall be brief, as I am sure you probably have many emails concerning this. As I became more studious of the Bible and its word, I, who had been looking at Ernest in the ELCA, this issue caused me to wait before attending service with them. The Lutheran LCMS has caused me to look at the Bible in a different way, as the Word of God, not as a history book. The Word is from front cover to back cover, all within, and it is God's Word. With that being said, I have read that many ELCA folks do not agree with this recent teaching of the ELCA. Could this actually be the work of our Lord? I just wanted to send this email because instead of looking at this situation in a negative way, could it not be a very positive way as in bringing the lost flock home? Please have a great day. Now, that's a very interesting point, and I really tend to agree with it. We have already had many ELCA people leave their membership in the Elka Church and join the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. In fact, there have even been some congregations that have left and have joined. Why? Because you can't read the Word of God and think that a gay lifestyle is appropriate. At one hymn I heard years ago, he created them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And even from the book of Genesis, it's very clear that A man is to leave his father and mother and join with his wife, who is female, and the two are to be one. All right. The next email. I think you said today that a person should leave and not support a church that doesn't proclaim the word in truth. I just left an LCMS church because the pastor invited a mob of people to attend the Lord's Supper. Visitors from various unrelated and unknown denominations, a summer camp of kids, a Baptist church choir from out of town being feted and presented to perform during the service 
because a member's kid was a singer. Parents and friends of the choir kids. All of these diverse folks attending this one service and the Lord's Supper. In addition, there was no liturgy in the service. When I arrived at the church late, I couldn't get in the door. The pastor had sent everyone from their seats out to the narthex, flowing out into the parking lot because of the numbers. Out in the parking lot, I and others were unable to hear and understand the words of the pastor screaming the history about how the church is built. No liturgy, no Bible reading. Upon arriving back in pews, the service moved immediately into the Lord's Supper, and the above happened. My sense is that the pastor is totally into being a star, guru, doing what he wants, with no recognition of his special calling. Becoming more and more out of control, I spoke to a church member who thought it was the greatest service ever because of the huge extra number of young people there that day. But they didn't hear Christ's word. Oh, he hadn't noticed that element missing. Folks ate the body and blood of Christ without knowing or honoring it. The pastor is giving less and less time to the church, canceling Bible studies for personal schedule conflicts, using CDs rather than personal Bible study, taking Monday and Tuesday for playing psychological to clients out of town. Speaking of psychologists, the last sermon I heard, a uh, second major region, reason I left his church, was his interpretation of the second article of the Apostles' Creed about Christ. His bottom line, repeated over and over again, is that we need to have faith in our spouses. People live together rather than getting married because they don't have enough faith in their significant other. It was insanity. Is there anything that should or could be done to protect the congregation, to protect the people who attend the church? I now drive one hour each way to get to God's truth. I'm fine with that. God is worth it. So grateful that I can turn to you with this and other concerns. God blesses me greatly through you. And then it's signed with the title, Jesus Little Lamb. Now, I'm a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Why would I write or read an email from someone about a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod that has such a pastor? It's because that is often true. Now, when I say often, I don't mean 90% or something. No, there, there's no doubt 
there are those pastors who have decided that the liturgy as found in our wonderful hymnals is insufficient. So they make up their own liturgy. And a lot of times, they tend to be the gurus that they want to be, where people are looking at them and thinking, wow, you're really doing a good job. Yes, people can be impressed with big numbers. But it is sad to say that many of the big number churches, especially outside the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, do not have a proper teaching of law and gospel or of Jesus Christ as the Savior. And so what can you do about it? If you're in the Missouri Synod, there are individuals that are kind of elected to watch over a number of churches, usually anywhere from seven churches to 15 churches in a certain area. They can be contacted and you can discuss what you are experiencing in your church. And they are to visit the pastor to see if he will return instead to proper worship. We also have what's called district presidents. And there are 35 districts in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, I'm in the Missouri district. I'm doing preaching in what's called the Southern Illinois district. And these men have as their goal to make sure there are not friction or fighting going on in the church and that the word of God is being taught properly. We also have a system where a pastor who is not teaching properly and teaching false doctrine instead can be brought up for inspection. He can try and defend himself, and there are people who can accuse him, and he can be removed from the roster of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, if he is unrepentant. So find out who your main visitor is in that congregation, who the district president is, and also make sure you visit your own pastor and tell him, these are problems that I'm having. Can you explain why they ought not? be a problem. Thank you very much for your letter. Dear Mr. Baker, I was listening to your radio broadcast when you were talking about a particular sermon. During the program, you drew the distinction between a non-believer helping a person with a bag of groceries and the same action by a believer. I believe you said that the unbeliever will be rewarded temporarily by God for helping, but because he is an unbeliever, his motivation can only be self-interest. During a Bible study at my LCMS church, the pastor said that when a believer does an outwardly good work, God sees the work of Jesus 
But then when a non-believer does an outwardly good work, God sees only sin. Would you please clarify why God would reward sin, even if temporarily? Or would you disagree that God sees only sin when a non-believer does an outwardly good work? I appreciate your thoughts concerning this. I enjoy your program and always feel I'm learning more and more by listening. Okay. Theology, and that's the study of how God thinks, is always made up of specific distinctions. And the distinction that comes into play here is a distinction between the spiritual world and the temporal world. Only believers can do good works in the spiritual world. In fact, they're not even called good works. They're called fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they are motivated by the Holy Spirit because of your love for Jesus Christ. Now, you do not get rewarded for those fruit of the Holy Spirit in the sense that now you're going to go to heaven because you are already on your way to heaven apart from those fruit of the Holy Spirit. The first one being, of course, the faith given you by the Holy Spirit. That's a good fruit. And through faith, you are saved. Now, when we move into the secular realm, or what some call the temporal realm, the realm of politics, the realm where people make decisions not on the basis of God's word, but on the basis of their preferences. So, for example, you may go to a doctor and find that there's a possibility you could have a heart attack by the food that you are eating. The doctor recommends, no, these are the kinds of food you should be eating. And you change your lifestyle to eat what the doctor says. Will God reward you? Yes, he will give you a healthier lifestyle and you may live longer. But that isn't a reward of salvation. That is a reward of doing things in the secular realm that God expects. For example, there's speed limits. Do you keep the speed limit or do sometimes you get pulled over because you're way over the speed limit? Well, when you're not pulled over because you're going the speed limit, that is a reward given to you of saving you money. The Lord rewards people. Imagine that you decided you weren't going to pay taxes anymore. Well, you know what's going to happen. The IRS is going to get a hold of you, and you're going to have to do some things to make up those taxes and you will then have a reward of not being bothered by the IRS anymore. So 
There's no doubt that even in unbeliever families, there are ways to handle children where you can have a pretty good family if the parents aren't yelling at the children all the time or causing them harm or beating them or overdoing the punishment. They will have a reward, perhaps, of obedient children. So we need to make a distinction between rewards that are given to us in the secular or temporal realm because of our obedience to the laws of the land and to civil discourse. That is how God sets up peace in the world. Remember, the government is given the first use of the law to control behavior. And when it does its job properly, you will end up having a more peaceful community, even though that peace will translate into heaven only for those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. For we are not saved by our works. We're not rewarded with heaven by our works. We are saved by the works of Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that we have no fear of God. And that fear turns into trust in all that he has given us. So, if you want to email me a question, it's to lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And perhaps next Friday's Open Mic Friday, we'll be talking about that. On Monday, we'll be looking at a text for the following Sunday and examine that from a law and gospel perspective. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.